Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and it is the day before Christmas, no, two days before Christmas Eve. Uh, It's the 21st as I record this, so it'll drop the 22nd, and Christmas Eve is Sunday, so I'm like trying to figure out where my days are at here, but yeah, so coming right at you real hot and heavy here, we've got uh, the end of chapter 19 that we're going to work on Matthew. I thought about doing like a little Christmas Day special, but I've done those in the past. And uh, if you're wanting one of those, just scroll back to like, I don't even know if I did one last year, but years prior, we've done some Christmas specials. Um, I just, we, I've been so busy with so much. I, I'm going to be lucky to get the Rantathon recorded uh, this week. So <laughs> please pray for me because I really do want to get that. I've, I've got some ideas and, and I love doing those shows. They're just fun and they're kind of off the cuff and uh, I've done them in years past with some guests, and I've really enjoyed those shows most of all, especially the roundtables and all that. Um, those are great, and unfortunately, I just don't have the time to schedule one this year. So it's just going to be me ranting, so you'll get uh, all of that. Hopefully, I'll keep it under an hour. I can't really guarantee that, but we'll see. Uh, so yeah, Christmas is right around the corner. We're really busy within the church. This will drop tomorrow morning because, you know, again, I'm late getting it recorded for me, but... We will have um, uh, our our annual Christmas dinner and a movie tomorrow night. It will be the uh, showing of Elf, and then we've got pulled pork, which I'm uh, got the grill going right now. And uh, as soon as I get done recording this, the grill should be heated up enough that I'll go put our pulled pork on there, and uh, I'm gonna smoke it overnight and serve it tomorrow for dinner. So I'm pretty excited for that. I love pulled pork; it's one of my favorite dishes to cook. It's simple and easy to do. I just plop it on and let it go. So it's going to probably get a good 14 hours uh, on the smoker. That's my goal is to just let it ride overnight. So, and then I've got a small one that I'm going to cook up probably tomorrow afternoon. So that way we've got enough to feed however many people come, but uh, we'll see. I'm, I don't know how many are going to be there, but that's tomorrow night. And then Sunday, obviously is Christmas Eve. So we have our uh, Christmas Eve uh, service in the evening, candlelight service with uh, lessons and carols and looking forward to that. I'm, I'm hoping for a packed house, praying for a packed house for that one. 
Uh, we have Christmas Day service on Monday at 6 a.m. We call it Ulata. It's a Swedish service, and that starts with candlelit, and then it moves into uh, the standard morning service. Uh, but it's uh, often done where the reading is conducted with, in Swedish, um, and then a short sermon is given, and then a few carols and such are sung. So it's kind of a neat little service. I enjoy doing those too. Um, so yeah, busy weekend, and uh, this week has been you know extraordinarily busy. Last night I had a Blue Christmas service to go and conduct and preach at, so we were you know busy uh, all last night, and it's just one thing after the next. So yeah, I I hope you all have a wonderful and merry Christmas, and uh, I hope you uh, you probably most of you probably won't even listen to this until after Christmas anyway, but you know. For those who are my hardcore fans or my dedicated fans, thank you, and, and I wish you a Merry Christmas. And for those who are late, happy late Christmas and happy early New Year, maybe, or happy late New Year, depending on when you listen to this. It could be like June of 2024. I don't know, you know, however that works. So, um, yeah, so that's uh, it's on the docket, right? That's all we got. We're going to look at uh, Matthew 19. We're going to look at 13 through 30. Uh, there's two sections here. Let the children come to me. This is a pretty big text, actually. It's only two verses, three verses, technically 13, 14, and 15. Um, and 15 is really just a few words. But it's it, it's punctuated so much that it is a a pivotal statement for the church, in my opinion. And so we could we could spend a whole service time, a whole sermon, a whole podcast or whatever, focusing just on this text. But for time's sake, we're going to look at both of these and... Uh, get uh, moving on through the text. So let's begin with 13 and then we'll wrap it up with the rich young man, 16 through 30. Here we go. Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. He said to them, or he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors as yourself. The young man said, I have kept all of these. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, you would have, if you would be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away for, went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich man or a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters and or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But those who are in, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So that's the text uh, here to close out chapter 19. 
And uh, we've got, like I said, two sections here. We've got the little children coming to Jesus and then the, this rich young man with some uh, doctrinal teaching that Jesus gives. And uh, so let's start looking at these little children. Uh, we'll just break this down here and, and start with verse 13, the uh, bringing of the children to him to lay hands on him. Uh, the Old Testament associates the imposition of hands. It's most often with the sacrificial uh, and custom consecratory rites. Uh, this is from Leviticus 1.4 and Deuteronomy 34.9. However, examples in Genesis 27, chapter 27, verse 23, and chapter 48, 14 through 18, show that blessings and inheritance are bestowed on family members in this way as well. And of course, his disciples try to rebuke them, and Jesus uh, oversteps them anyway. And, you know, it's kind of another ironic time that the disciples are trying to rebuke these people, but uh, Jesus tells his disciples to receive the children, the weak and the humble in his name, because this, these are the ones who the kingdom of heaven is belonging to. It is only those exhibiting childlike humility and dependence on God can enjoy the benefits of his kingdom. And I think we talked about this a few times on the show in the past, talking about the children uh, being the inheritors of Faith, and I, I actually believe it was not too long ago. It was, we were doing it, Matthew, and I know it was not too many weeks ago that we talked about it. And I made the comment that, you know, it, it's it's both and. It's the people who exhibit the childlike behavior as well as the children. Uh, because it literally says, then children were brought to him. So people are bringing their children. And this can be, you know, any age group from an infant, a newborn, all the way up to, you know, an adolescent uh, or maybe a teenager. So these children have a, a variety of age ranges that can be used for this particular passage. And the premise to it, and this is kind of where obviously we're going to disagree with a lot of the our friends in the Protestant movement uh, when it comes to baptism, because we see passages like this and we see Jesus, re, you know, essentially rebuking his disciples for rebuking the people. And Jesus tells his disciples, do not hinder them. He says, let them come to me. And, and we see passages like this, and we correlate this with like Matthew 28, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But the baptizing, you know, there's no age restrictions placed on baptism. It doesn't teach you to, you know, make them disciples and then baptize. He says, make disciples by baptizing. And we, we, it, it's not a, it's not a, 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 B and C order. It's a, it's, you can consider it to be like a mathematical equation. The baptism is the first thing that we have to do followed by discipling and teaching. We baptize our children because Jesus tells us not to hinder the children from coming to him. And so that's my, my beef on that. And, um, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll have some disagreements with, uh, many in the Protestant circles who would, uh, reject infant baptism or even child baptism until they can quote unquote, make a proclamation for their own faith. And of course, we've discussed an extensive length baptism on the show. So if you're curious, go listen to those episodes. But it's one of those things that I obviously would staunchly disagree with, that baptism is just an outward sign. There's nowhere in scripture that we see it demonstrated as that matter. Uh, and like I said, we've I've done I've gone through a lot of verses, a whole bunch of verses talking about baptism. We talked about, you know, the uh, comparison between circumcision and baptism and all of that stuff. So did a whole series on it um, last summer. So go back to the older episodes and look. I don't have an episode number off the top of my head, but that's where they are. So, you know, it, it's just, to me, it's one of those things. It's like the kingdom of God isn't isn't for the people who have, have it all figured out. 
The kingdom of God isn't just for the theologically correct person. The kingdom of God is for all people. And the premise for like the Christian family, this is how we grow, is you baptize your children and you raise them up as Christians. And this is why our church is placing such a huge emphasis on family life and working with the children and cultivating that relationship because we know that when they get into the real world, things we, we know that things are going to be thrown at them left and right. And we know that our high schoolers are facing it terribly bad right now. And, and so this is the only answer to all of the world's problems is the Bible. It's God's word. It is Jesus Christ. And if we can raise up these children with a firm foundation and a firm belief in Jesus, then we are doing something right and giving them some ammunition to fight against this world. So do not hinder the children because they are the ones whom the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven belongs to. So that's my spiel. Again, like I said, there's so much that could be talked about it, and I've done enough shows on this, you know, in, in the 340 shows that I've recorded has talked about baptism and children and all that. So be, you know, maybe we'll talk about it on the Rantathon. I don't know. We'll see what, what I get to. Um, but that's that's where we're going to leave this portion. But let's get on to this rich young ruler here. Uh, he, he addresses him as teacher. What must I do to have eternal life? What good deed? He's asking, you know, this is kind of the commonality for especially modern Christians. They think that, you know, they live good lives or they've been good people. They've done enough good things. And this kind of filters into that into that bucket. And really, so this is another common belief that was had by these individuals. And they had to just simply fulfill God's law by doing all of these, quote unquote, good deeds. And so this is why this question is presented here. Uh, elsewhere, Scripture will obviously explain that this idea is extraordinarily wrong, as Paul writes in Galatians, the third chapter. But it's just something that I think a lot of even, like I said, modern Christians have in their minds is that they've done enough good deeds or they've been good enough. Therefore, they should get eternal life. But Jesus responds and he says, but nobody's good, right? He, he says there's only one who is good. And this kind of is going to see be where Paul echoes that in Romans 3, when he says nobody's good and no, not one, nobody does the will of God. All have fallen short of the glory of God and we've all turned away. And Jesus is making that statement. And I think good is a relative term. In fact, my brother texted me the other day. He's dealing with some uh, issues with, a, a, you know, his, uh, it's a long story, but my brother's dealing with some relationship issues, thankfully not with his wife, but with other, with another individual. And he texted me the other day and he goes, do you think I'm a good person? <laughs> And I said, well, I said, do you want my opinion or do you want what the Bible tells you? And he says, um, yours, please. I said, well, I'm going to tell you both. First, I think you're a good person. You know, you're my brother. I love you. But the Bible's going to tell you that neither one of us are good, right? Because good has, has to be placed into a relative construct of who God is. And nobody measures up to the goodness of God. Now, we can think that we're good in our own, you know, in our own viewpoints. And we can think other people are good based upon how we measure them. However, nobody is good when we measure ourselves up to God. And that's what Jesus is asserting here. Because this young man thinks that he's done good deeds. He's done all of the things. He's kept the law, right? That's what these next handful of passages uh, will deal detail here, 18 through 19. He sum, Jesus summarizes essentially the second table of the law. But this construct of who is good, we know that only one is. There's only one that is God. Jesus's response echoes Israel's creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And this goes back to Deuteronomy 6. By answering it in this way, Jesus shifts the focus away from the human works towards God's, 
and makes it this where God is the source of this grace. It is not by the workings of man or the keeping of the law. Jesus next challenges the young man with God's law. Have you done these things? Fulfilling God's commands earns eternal life, but you have to be perfectly obedient to the entire law, never failing one time. After the fall of Adam and Eve, of course, such uh, perfection was impossible. Nobody's kept it. Only Christ has kept it. Without Christ, the commandments cannot be kept and cannot please. It is impossible. You can probably keep the law for about 35 seconds before you start breaking it. That's, I mean, it, it's just, it is so, it is so hard for man in our own, in our simple construct, in our simple minds to keep the law. We just can't possibly do it. And that's why we have Christ. That's why Christ came down to us. And that's why in a couple of days we celebrate this joyous moment that our savior takes on flesh, becomes man, lives with us, dies for us and raises from the grave, triumphant over sin, death and the devil. Because we can't do it, and especially here, this rich young man. He claims that he's done it, but then Jesus even goes further when he says that you have upheld this you know, moral code, but you fail to see where your actual f- desires lack here. You, you, you fail to see where they, where they should be placed. And he goes on to say, well, sell all your possessions, give it all away. And this really is what befalls this young man because he walks away. He's sorrowful because he has all these possessions. He's a rich person. He doesn't want to give away all of his possessions and become poverish and, you know, walk with the disciples and live a dirty life. He loves his pristine, you know, naive life where he can just do whatever he wants, comes and goes whenever he pleases. But Jesus answers that there in verse 20. And he says, go and sell all of these things. Go and sell it. Be perfect. That's how you do it. If you've kept the law, if you've kept that second table of the law, then great. Now show me your obedience and go sell everything, right? The uh, perfection is usually only avoiding in sins, but it's actively also the fulfillment of the sacrificial love. And Jesus addresses the young man's greatest weakness, so the young man can keep this law, but he fails when he rec- when he fails to acknowledge the sacrificial love that is required of him in order to enter eternal life. Remember, Jesus is stating here that you must do all of these things in order to be perfect, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven by yourself. This isn't a command that Jesus is telling all of us to just go and sell all of our stuff if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is setting the standard that without him, Without Christ in your life, this is what you must do in order to enter eternal life. That is what this text is talking about. And I, it drives me nuts when I hear preachers use a text like this to command tithes and offerings from their congregation. That is not what this text is telling you. This text is saying that if Christ is not the Lord and Savior in your eye, and, he, and you do not recognize that your salvation comes through him, then you must keep this law. You must sell everything. You must be perfect. You must obey all of the commandments and honor God. And if you do all that, then you might have a chance. But we know that that is impossible. And Jesus demonstrates that because he goes right through the hypocrisy of this young man and he cuts right to the core and he says, great, you've kept these moral laws. Now you must keep this and you must show me sacrificial love. That is what must be done. But obviously the young man can't do it. 
Uh, Jesus proclaims this law, to, this harsh law, and through the expectation it's tailored to this young man that Jesus does expect clarity from all of his disciples. This treasure in heaven is the faithful generosity here on earth will result in the Lord rewarding us in heaven. Now, and I've talked about this on the show before, what those rewards are, that's for us to find out. If they're crowns or whatever, we don't know, but we will be rewarded in heaven for the lives that we endure on this earth. But that is not what causes us to get to heaven. Selling all of our items, living this life of sacrificial means, obeying these moral laws, that's not what's going to earn us eternal life. It is through Christ. It is the grace of God through the death of Christ that we are saved. That is it. That The belief in that is Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe that God raised him from the grave and you believe that he is, uh, you believe all this, then you will have eternal life. And I kind of butchered and paraphrased that at the same time. So, but this is the statement, right? Because like I said, I, it drives me nuts when I hear these prosperity preachers or I hear really with this text and many others, when they utilize it to fund their church, right? And they and they just, they will segregate these passages and they'll just kind of, you know, focus on 21. Jesus says to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor, right? Well, the church uh, works with the poor, so you should give the church your money. Well, that's not how it works. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is telling this young person in this context to be perfect. You must sell everything. You must get rid of the one thing that is holding you down. And I think this would be a great example to play into many people's lives today to actively acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Oftentimes we have to pick up that cross and, and, and die to ourselves. We have to give the things that we have clung so deeply and so richly to. And, and I think for many people, it's money, it's possessions, it's clothes, cars, houses, it's our children, it's our spouses, it's, you know, all of these things. It could be video games, it could be books, it can be just about anything and everything could become an idol in our lives. And what we are called to do is surrender those idols and give ourselves solely to Christ. And we just saw, you know, it's been pretty popular in social media here recently, the the, uh, the Hulk Hogan baptism where he says, I've, you know, I'm, I'm surrendering my life completely to Jesus. And I think, Hey, that's a wonderful thing. I'm, I'm praise God for that. That is just absolutely beautiful. And I pray that Hogan can, can live this out. The, the absolute surrender of his life to Christ. And, and I hope he lives that sacrificial means, you know, but it doesn't mean that he has to sell everything and become, become, you know, poverty. He can still obviously keep his money, and but he can find ways to help people. And that's that's the goal, is to find a means to help and serve his community and, and his church and all these other things. That is what the life of a Christian is should be doing, is that sacrificial means. So that's how the text is supposed to be read. It's, it's the context focuses on the rich young man and how that without Christ, you must be perfect in every facet. Christ's proclamation over the law overwhelms this young man, and yet he is not even prepared to repent. He just goes away because he is sorrowful. And so Jesus does not state that rich people cannot be saved, right? The the hyper, hyperbolic imagery here to impress upon his believers and the hearers here, his disciples, just shows how serious and uh, 
how serious these these rich uh, possessions, these people who have a wealth, uh, can really hinder their viewpoint and their vision can be cloudy th- because of you know what they what they have possession of. It, it's not that they can't make it to heaven. And I think another thing too is that you, you people claim you got to be poor, you got to get rid of everything if you were wealthy. No, it, it's not the fact that one being wealthy is preventing you from getting to heaven. Because I know many wealthy Christians and they do wonderful things for the kingdom of God, but they they have such a talent, whether they own a construction company or they're nurses or doctors or they're lawyers, and they do things to serve people and they just so happen to make a lot of money. But then they, they give a lot of money away too. They live a life that is honoring Christ and they are sacrificing their income to help others. They're sacrificing their time to help others. And I know just as many great poor, poorer people or people not so wealthy, people not, you know, living the high life that continuously give and acknowledge Christ as well. And then to the, to the you know, opposite of that, I know many people who uh, don't make a lot of money and don't care for Christ. I know a lot of people who are very rich and obviously we know that they don't care for Christ. And I mean, you just look at politics in the United States and you'll see a gleaming example of that. So this, uh, the the statement really becomes difficult, right? It's, it's a, it's a tough statement because a lot of people, again, it's a passage can be easily manipulated and easily twisted because Jesus isn't explicitly here in 23 and 24 stating that they can't make it to heaven. He's just saying that it's going to be hard for them because their wealth is distracting them. It is a burden to them. And he's saying it's going to be easier for the uh, camel to make it through the eye of a needle. And he's basically just saying it's going to be very, very difficult. But you know what? Throughout the New Testament, it depicts numerous wealthy people becoming disciples and using their money and influence in a God-pleasing way. Uh, We see that later in or throughout various passages here in in Matthew. We'll see it in Luke. We'll see it in Acts um, as well as Mark 10. So there's people who use their wealth to influence and push forward the kingdom of God, whether it's helping build churches, remodeling churches, um, funding you know organizations in the community, helping with all of these things. You can use your wealth to, to help the kingdom of God, and that's what is being addressed here. So verse 25, the disciples obviously amazed uh, by the demands that Jesus gives, these very rigid demands. Their reaction implies that they were even having doubts about their own salvation because Peter goes, well, what do we do? How could we, we've given, we gave all this up. What do we have? Right. You, you, you just told this rich young man that he's got to be perfect in every way in order to get the kingdom of heaven. And he's like, so what does that mean for us? We gave everything away. Now, what do we have? What do we have left here? Right. We followed you. And Jesus says here in verse 28, uh, that this is the new world, right? We'll see the imagery here of the new heavens and the new earth. This will be the things after his second coming when all things are perfectly restored. And we'll see that take place in Revelation 21. And uh, we'll see, obviously, here at the, in the uh, discord, Olivet Discourse here in a few chapters. But based on the vision recorded in uh, Daniel 7, when Jesus' glorious final enthronement is prophesied, that is the Son of Man sitting on the glorious throne. The 12 thrones in heaven, they will be joined here. Uh, these disciples will join him in restore, uh, ruling over the restored people of God. This is a similar promise made to all believers in 2 Timothy and Revelation 22. And 
you know, I, I, uh, this is again, one of those interesting verses because you see Jesus essentially assigning roles already to, to his disciples that they will encounter, uh, when they reach heaven, especially in the new heavens and the new earth. So we, we would have to understand, and I did an episode on death and one on heaven and hell. Um, so y- when we deal with the text like this, this is after the return of Christ, right? Cause it is setting the standard in verse 28 with the new world. Now, Jesus is simply just, if he would have said, truly, truly, I say to you in the life everlasting or in the eternal life or something like that, we could argue uh, it is pre the return of Christ and post return of Christ. It could be either or, or both and, but here it is simply after the return of Christ in the new world, you as the disciples, these 12 disciples will be established with their 12 thrones to rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. However, we do know that one of these 12, uh, Judas Iscariot will betray Jesus and he will be later replaced in the book of Acts by the disciples. So there are still going to be 12. Now where Paul falls into that category, I don't know. I don't know what Paul's point, you know, what Jesus has in, in store for Paul in heaven. Um, Paul's, you know, currently enjoying his time with Jesus right now. So, you know, whatever that looks like, that'll be kind of interesting to see when we get there. So uh, let's get on to verse 29 here. He says, and everyone who has left houses uh, or brothers or sisters and fathers and mothers, children for his sake will receive a hundredfold. Uh, Christ does not mean that you have to physically leave your parents or your wife or your siblings, but it is a work that must be done because it is meriting the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, right? Christ does not mean that living, leaving your parents, your wife, your siblings is a work that must be done in order to inherit forgiveness of sins. When Christ speaks about leaving the wife and the children, it becomes clear that he does not approve of this uh, type of leaving. We know that God's commandment forbids leaving wife and children. God commands, uh, God's command to leave is different. That is that it is this. When the power and tyranny pushes us to either leave or to deny the gospel. So it is not just to simply vacate your premise or your role in the family or to leave your spouse or your kids. It is a moment that if you have a choice between denying the gospel or leaving, you leave. You do not deny the gospel. That is the premise. It's not that Jesus is simply saying in order to, for you to get into eternal life that you got to do all these things, right? This is, again, a connecting piece back to the conversation with the rich young man. These are not elements by which one earns eternal life. It is not just by, oh, I left my wife and kids. Now I'm on my own. Well, no, because now you're going to probably still fall into the same sins and you're probably going to end up, you know, being promiscuous and you know, committing adultery and doing all these other things. When, if you had stayed with your wife, you would have prevented those sins. And even if you were to, to quote unquote, leave your wife or leave your husband and go into the ministry and serve God faithfully there, you're still hurting your family and you're still committing sins by doing so. And we know that this isn't what Jesus is actually commanding. What he is commanding is that if it comes down to, uh it is, when it comes down to the leaving of the person or leaving of the land or leaving of something or having to deny the gospel, if those are the choices we leave, that is, that is the, the reality to it. Jesus will reward every matter suffered on account of faith and love for him. Uh, the reward following Jesus far as outweighs the sacrifice that it would require here on earth. 
And we see Jesus's description for the eternal life that is gained and how it contrasts to that of the young man. So within this context, this means, verse 30, uh, that it, the, the poor and the humble will be the ones who are exalted in the age to come. It goes back to verse 13 even. Uh, while many of the world's rich and powerful will be brought low. And again, I, I really like to stress that this isn't just a manner of, you know, you, you have to do all these things because it is by faith that we are saved. It is by Christ's work on the cross that we are saved. It is nothing else. And, but we have to realize that if there are things that are going to prevent us to deny the gospel, we have to avoid or remove ourselves from that. And it, whether that's, you know, maybe you maybe you have a spouse who's an atheist and they demand you to deny your faith and demand that you deny Christ. Well, you can't be unequally yoked because you're going to be miserable and it's not a healthy relationship. So should you leave? Well, that's a discussion between you and your pastor. And uh, I'm not a licensed therapist that can sit here and give you marriage advice through a podcast. So go see help and talk to your preacher if that's the the really random situation you find yourself in. But do not just simply leave because the this passage says that if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, then you must do all these things. Um, because you, to in, inherit the internal life it is meaning that if you believe with you, you if you believe with so much vigor that you have to do these things you have to to suffer then you will inherit that that's that's what jesus is saying you'll you'll receive a great reward in heaven for those who suffer so we cannot earn eternal life through our own good works nor by what we do or don't do in this life we can only receive it by god's grace but jesus still rewards our sacrifices and our service to him trying to return uh, trying to earn eternal life is obviously a losing proposition uh, the perfection that this requires is impossible for us sinners. And through faith in Christ, God freely gives us the eternal life as a gift. And that, and that if that were enough, he rewards the sacrifices that are made for his kingdom a hundredfold. So it's like the eternal life is already the greatest gift we can get. And yet God says, yeah, but you suffered, you get more still. So it's like, wow, bonus points, right? So it's tremendous. It's a great passage. Uh, obviously there's a lot more that could be said on it. And just for time's sake, I'm going to close her down, but it's, these are wonderful passages. And like I said, take your time, read through them and open some commentaries, open some study Bibles and just dig into the text and dwell on it and just meditate on it. And don't place yourself in the shoes of the rich young ruler. If Christ is Lord and savior and, and you acknowledge that, then you're saved. And, you know, and I pray that you can use the things that you have in life for uh, the greater good. I pray that you can use these to further the kingdom of God. And I pray that you see yourself in service for Christ. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in. I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed and Merry Christmas. And I pray that you all have are able to partake in church, whether it's Sunday night or Monday, and uh, and celebrate the birth of our Messiah, celebrate Christ coming into the world, the word taking on flesh and dwelling among us. This is the greatest gift that God can possibly give to us is that his son comes to the world and dies for us and rises from the grave. And so that all who believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 
that is the greatest gift that we could possibly cling to. So Merry Christmas. Thanks for tuning in, guys. God bless. We'll see you all later. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.